where the wandering water gushes from the hills above Glen Carr, in pools among the rushes that scarce could bathe a star. We seek for slumbering trout and whispering in their ears, give them unquiet dreams. Leaning softly out from ferns that drop their tears over the young streams, come away, O human child, to the waters and the wild, with a fairy hand in hand, for the world's more full of weeping than you can understand. people out there, welcome back. I'm Max, and this is my co-host, Rock. We'll be your guides today as we traverse the crossroads and hollowways in search of old legends on nightmares and daydreams. Yes, indeed. Welcome to our discussion. Max and I are going to discuss and debate our way through all things paranormal, legendary, and monstrous. And then, of course, our favorite, fun. Fun, yes. But you know what's not fun, Rock? I bet you're going to tell me. Noticing that your beloved child has been switched with a hideous old goblin or snatched away entirely, leaving an empty cradle. Or even just being snatched away yourself and knowing, even if you ever made it back, all your loved ones will have long since perished. Yeah, you know, I gotta say, that that's no fun at all. Which do you think would be worse? I don't know, but at least if you get snatched, you go to fairy and see enchanted lands and beautiful fairy ladies. Sounds good, but I'm not sure it's exactly as advertised. <laughs> like the land of fairy, you mean? Yeah, often people who've gone there describe it as being dreadful and impoverished and the people themselves as warped and deformed. That's lame. They really should be required to put that on the brochure. Yeah, I haven't seen the brochure, but yeah, I agree. David Bowie may be the prettiest thing there. Labyrinth, great movie. But seriously, Bowie as a Goblin King was great and the place is kind of dank. But uh, Jennifer Connelly is great in that flick. Another 90s movie icon. Yeah, but she isn't a fairy. She was just getting her baby brother. As any dutiful older sibling should. But you mentioned two different types of abductions by fairies. Yeah, I think it's fair to classify them into two different categories. There are probably more that could be separated out, but for the sake of simplicity. Well, we're just simple folk here in Central Texas. We just got them horseless carriages and moving pictures. <laughs> Who you calling simple? So just to clarify, what are the two categories again? Oh, yes. Yeah, back to work. Such a taskmaster. You know me. Somebody's got to keep us on track. As we always say, we need discipline on this podcast. Well, it's not going to be me. Obviously. Okay, so let's focus the two types of abductions. Yeah, I think the two general categories that apply here are changelings, that is, babies or children stolen mm -hmm. by fairies, and abductions or seductions of older humans, including humans that are pixie-led or tricked into getting lost, whereby they end up in fairy. That's pretty wicked. So, shall we do them in order? For safety's sake, let's do them in reverse order. Ah, uh, you're wise, my friend. You're referring to the tradition that one way to protect oneself as you wandered in the woods or countryside was to reverse a piece of clothing wearing inside out, specifically your shoes. Very clever. I try. And you've ran several Boston marathons. Lots of trying in that. Too much if you ask me. There are too many good pubs in Boston to be out running. I agree. Lots of trying. And there is a certain sadness when I'm running past a few pubs. So abductions, or as you also said, seductions of humans into fairy and that's fairy with a capital f it's the land of the fae yes and there are innumerable tales of this 
And it happens in every way one can imagine. Sometimes you get lost in the woods, follow a stag while hunting, Classic. get led astray by pixies or will-o'-wisps, hear haunting music that leads you deeper into the forest, and sometimes you're actually seduced by the beauty or the glamour of the fairy people themselves. Well, they're pretty glamorous. And uh, why are you always bringing up old stuff? That was just one time. <laughs> Not you, you. Generic you. Like, sometimes someone is seduced. Oh, yeah, totally. Just kidding, folks. However, Max and I do want to road trip through Ireland, driving on the wrong side of the road, kissing Blarney Stones, and generally just raising hell on the Emerald Isle. I'm in. Okay. Unlike a lot of other myths and legends, there seems to be a lot of gender equity in this type of event, at least uh-huh. in terms of who was led away or abducted. So we have men like Thomas the Reiner, abducted by the Queen of Elfland. Also, Tam Lynn of the Scottish Ballad, who was saved by Janet, a young Scottish woman. She holds on to him as the queen of the trooping fairies who took him, transforms him into more and more difficult shapes. Like when Peleus wants to marry the goddess Thetis in Greek mythology, he sees her riding in on a dolphin and grabs her and she turns into all manner of things, including fire. Not sure how he holds fire, but that doesn't seem very realistic. Skywola did it. Well, he held his hand in the fire. Now you're just making stuff up, so let's get back on track. <laughs> yes, sir. I guess it should be said that Tamlin wanted to be nabbed by Janet. Thetis did not want to marry Peleus. Don't steal people without their consent, folks. It's against the law and super uncool. Actually, that's a pretty big theme here in most of these stories. Fairies stealing people without their consent? You know, the bastards. But what are the reasons that are given in the stories for this sort of snatching in the first place? Well, with adults, it was mostly either for the sake of mischief or because the fairy lord or lady had fallen in love with the mortal. This reminds me of a story. Does it now? Do tell. John Roy of Glen Brown in Scotland was out one night gathering some cattle that had gone astray when he came upon a troop of fairies who were carrying a bundle of some sort. Recalling that the fey folk are obliged to exchange whatever they have with anyone who offers them something, however low in value, he threw his hat to them and called out, What's mine is yours, and yours is mine. The fairies dropped their prize, which turned out to be an Englishwoman. They'd stolen from her country and carted away, leaving a fake in her place, which had died and been buried. John brought her home, and she lived with him for many years. One day, English soldiers came, and one, seeing the woman, seemed fixated. He commented how precisely she recalled the image of his deceased mother. The captain of his company, who happened to be his father, said he too was struck by the resemblance. He called her name, and there was great rejoicing at the reunion of the family. Well, that was interesting. Mm, On a few levels, but how do you mean specifically? Well, a couple of things struck me. Like, first of all, I never heard of the thing about fairies being forced to exchange like that. But more importantly, why did she wait years to go back? Did she not know her address? That flashed through my mind, too. Maybe she came from a town without a name. (laughs) She At least, (laughs) you know, she knew what country she was from. The Scottish and English accents are a bit different, yeah? Yeah, Pretty much all the same. Now, maybe she just really liked John. That seems more likely. She probably just claimed to be confused by her abduction. <laughs> her husband might have been an idiot. Yeah, she probably said that she'd just been abducted. Like, ooh, I was just going to call. Yeah, I was just, oh my God, <laughs> fancy seeing you today. I was just going to text you. <laughs> you know, so let's talk about fairy time and everything. Because it could happen. People talk a lot about how time passes differently in the fairy realm. And a day could be like weeks or even years. So that might be a legitimate excuse for her not going home. 
Let's call her, maybe she was fairy addled. I like that. It's part of the language now. Yet there is one story, Austrian, I believe, so quite another part of the continent, but you'll find the themes very similar. Do tell. There was a young peasant, a hardy young man, just recently having reached adulthood. And one day, as the rain began to fall, he followed his herd into a cave where a woman stood waiting. Seeing from his attire that he was a farmer, and from his stout build that he was strong and capable, she offered him a position as a gardener. Now, it's probably fair to say he took the job as much out of desire for her beauty as for need of money, because she was radiant. So accepting the job, he went with her and worked her garden for a few weeks before growing homesick. The woman who had employed him agreed to release him and return him home, only to find everything appeared strange and to discover that he recognized no one, and no one recognized him, except one old crone who came up to him and said, Where have you been? I've been looking for you for two hundred years. She took him by the hand, and he fell dead, for she was death herself. I hate when that happens. Yeah, dang employers. They'll take everything you've got and more. Hope you at least got some good coin to take with him to the afterlife. At least enough to pay the fatty man. So here at least the guy agreed to go. Well, you know, sort of. Yeah, I don't think he'd have agreed if he'd known the real price. At the very least, he would have demanded a pay raise. I'd want that money up front. Seriously. So we've seen abduction and we've seen luring humans to work in the fairy realm, although it isn't the typical kind of work that is involved in this sort of fairy human employment contract. No, it's usually fairies looking for women to serve as midwives or nursemaids to fairy children. Exactly. In those stories, I don't think I've ever heard of the time shift issue coming up, though. That's a good point. Time is sometimes a factor. You can get straight up Rip Van Winkled out of 20 years in a flash. 20 years if you're lucky. Exactly. You might end up gardening for 200 years <laughs> if you're not careful, and that's just a straight up shame. I guess it depends how much you like gardening. I don't think anybody likes gardening that damn much. But also, as you said, sometimes time seems to conform to the mortal realm, as with the fairy midwife stories we were just talking about. And on top of that, in those stories, they're often gifted with fairy sight. Yeah, that would be pretty cool, I think. Maybe not. Usually it's because they use an ointment of some kind, right? Yeah, yeah, they find an ointment in the fairy fort or cave and sometimes accidentally apply it to their eye. And this gives them fairy sight in that eye from then on. Although sometimes they get caught later on noticing a fairy who doesn't wish to be seen. And the legends usually go that the fairy asks the former midwife, which eye do you see me with? And after they tell him, he puts that eye out. Fairy claw to the eye. <laughs> Not very nice at all. It's better if you get the ability to see fairies by making a deal with them. That's just in the magicians. Are you saying that's not real? High King Margo is my king, Rod. <laughs> Don't impugn her honor. I'll have to throw a glove or something. You're right. It's a great documentary. Totally real. Have you seen the <laughs> animated documentary, Thundar the Barbarian, about the world ending in 1995? It's totally riveting and real. I'm going to send it to you. Point taken. But, you know, going way back to that Scottish story of the abducted woman, there's one thing that we haven't talked about. What's that? The fake wife that the fairies left behind. I mean, they just straight up left a Bogwood clone, a la Jonathan Strange. Oh, that was a great show. And yes, I think it was exactly like that. Spoiler alert, they left a moss oak copy of Jonathan Strange's wife and stole her to fairy. Basically, he took some wood out of the bog and fabricated a perfect clone. And that's another great example of fairy's slippery idea of contracts and consent, right? So 
Jonathan Strange agreed to exchange technically, but didn't realize what he was doing. However, it was good enough for the thistledown-haired fairy to feel entitled to abscond with her. Yeah, that guy was a right bastard. He did a similar kind of thing with Lady Pole. He contracted with Mr. Norrell to take half her life, but was obviously being devious. Plus, he looked like a super <laughs> creepy sting. I kept expecting him to sing Fields of Gold or something like that. Not to mention, how did either Jonathan Strange or Mr. Norrell even have a right to make a contract on behalf of those other people? Seems sketchy to say the least. Too true. It seems like that would be a loophole that they could have exploited. But there are times when fairies abduct, but it's not with ill intent of that sort. Nah, you just have Stockholm Syndrome. Yeah, maybe, but I was talking about little Jamie and the secret of Roan Inish. Ah, sweet Jamie, that fat little dumpling. Great. Dumplings. Now I'm hungry. He was just big-boned, but at <laughs> least according to his cousin Tog, he was safe, but just with another side of the family. A family of were-seals. God, I love that movie. It's a good one for sure. Almost as good as Darby O'Gill. But, you know, we haven't really talked about fairy seductions yet. Just abductions of various sorts, assuming you consider employment abduction. And I most certainly do. Maybe the best way to start talking about seduction, since you're so determined, is to tell a story. I agree. Stories are why we're here. Absolutely. So, is there one you have at hand? Actually, yes. One of the most famous of the seduction stories is that of Anne Jeffreys of St. Teeth Parish in the 17th century. It goes like this. Anne Jeffreys was a daughter of a poor laborer in the parish of St. Teeth, and apparently lived there from 1626 to 1698. At 19 years old, she became the servant of the family of Mr. Moses Pitt. She was a brave, bold girl, and her great wish was to make friends with the fair folk. So often at sunset, she would look for them under the ferns and in the foxglove glens, singing, Fairy fair and fairy bright, come and be my chosen sprite or on a moonlit night, walking the valley against the stream, she would sing. Moonshine's bright waters run clear. I am her, but where's my fairy dear? For a long time, the fairies tested her. They never lost sight of her, but would run from frond to frond of the ferns so that she could never see them. But at last, when Anne was sitting in her master's garden after her morning's work, she heard the branches moving and thought her sweetheart had come to look for her. So she sat still, saying nothing, attending her knitting, and soon she heard a soft laugh. Still, no one appeared, and she said half aloud, You may stay there till the moss grows on the gate ere I'll come to see. A strange ringing and musical laugh, which she knew was not her lover, startled her. But she was a favorite of the parish and told herself that no one would harm her. She heard the garden gate open and close again very softly, and soon she saw at the entrance six little men handsomely dressed in green. They had charming faces and bright eyes, and the grandest of them wore a red feather in his cap. He came forward, bowed to her, and when she held out her hand, jumped onto it, climbed into her lap and up to her neck and face and began kissing her. She was altogether charmed until one of them pricked her eyes, blinding her for a time. They carried her away to some distant place, flying through the air and... Then one of them said, Tear away, so it sounded to Anne. Her sight was restored, and she found herself in a most beautiful place. The temples and palaces were of gold and silver. The lakes were full of gold and silver fish, and the trees laden with fruit and flowers. Now the little people seemed no smaller than herself, and Anne joined in the play and dancing, dressed up as splendidly as the rest. Her six friends constantly attended her, 
but the one who had spoken to her first aroused the jealousy of the rest because he remained always her favorite. At last they separated themselves and went into a most lovely garden where Anne would have wished to stay forever. But the other five found the place and came at the head of a fierce mob of the little people to attack her lover, who soon lay wounded at her feet. Then the fairy who had blinded her before laid his hand on Anne's eyes, and amid darkness and strange noises she felt herself whirl through the space as if a thousand flies were buzzing around her. When she opened her eyes, she was lying on the ground in the arbor with an anxious crowd of faces watching her. All thought she had suffered some kind of convulsion, from which she was now recovered. So we see the Renaissance transition from the fair folk into little people that's not entirely consistent with older lore. One of the things I find most fascinating about your story is the way it reverses the time discrepancy, or seems to. She's gone for some not insignificant amount of time, long enough for relationships to build and go sour, and to develop a special fondness for a particular person among the fairies. But in the mortal realm, little enough time has passed that people around her didn't even notice she's gone. Yeah, well, this is a historical account. Maybe she really did have a convulsion and just dream it all. You could pick apart any story, I guess, and ascribe it to naturalistic logic. Maybe she did, and maybe it was a dream, but we can just never know, I guess. Exactly. And the thing is, according to the historical woman, Anne Jeffries, the incident in the story above was just the beginning. She claimed throughout her life to constantly be accompanied by fairies, which were invisible to everyone else. Was there anything to back up her claims? The thing is, there kind of is, yeah. According to others, she would go months without eating, while she claimed to be eating only fairy food. And she actually became kind of famous for her healing abilities and prophecies. And in 1646, she was accused of being a witch by Jan Tregeagle, a famous witch hunter, who said she was consorting with the devil, as they often do. She was kept imprisoned, and they ended up providing evidence of the truth of her claims. How's that? They deprived her of food again for months at a time. And according to a letter from the mayor in 1647, a document which still exists, she indeed went without food for considerable amounts of time without apparent ill effects on her health. That's pretty cool. Horrible that she had to suffer that nonsense, of course, but cool that they kind of ended up proving her case. Yeah, I doubt they concede that fact, but, you know, it's still kind of awesome. But men were seduced as well, no? Absolutely. I'm just being hopeful. Yeah, like, <laughs> say that out loud, asking for a friend. Uh, yeah, but definitely, there are tons of stories of men succumbing to the beauty of fate women. Narrates pulling men under the water, selkie women. Well, that's a bit different, right? That goes back to the secret of Ron Inish and the story it was based upon. Man sees a beautiful woman swimming naked in the salty sea and steals her seal skin, trapping her in human form. She agrees to marry him because, let's be honest, what else can she do? She hasn't exactly got employable skills. She's probably pretty good at fishing. (laughs) Okay, true. But here we come to the whole abduction thing in reverse, I guess. Yeah, if it's not okay for the fairies, it's not okay for you lovely listeners. Absolutely. Consent is a two-way street. Get the Selkie to come to you of her own free will, and then maybe you have more of a lasting relationship. You don't have to hide her skin in the attic and hope she never finds it. Maybe you even like her to put it on every now and then, if you know what I mean. Yeah, okay. You, you always have to take it too far, man. Like for those seal lovers out there. That's what I do. I mean, my ancestors are fae. We have different boundaries than you mortal folk. Whatever you say, man. So what about changelings? You mentioned them at the beginning, but we really haven't talked about them yet. 
Okay, yeah, changelings. So in a lot of ways, it's a similar thing to the Jonathan Strange or John Roy stories. Basically, the fairies are leaving a substitute, either to trick the family or perhaps as a legitimate exchange, at least from their point of view. Yeah, from the fairy point of view. Definitely not from the human point of view. No one wants a piece of wood or goblin baby in exchange for their loved one. Maybe if their baby was cocky. (laughs) Yeah, I know, like a grouchy baby, you know, maybe. But probably not, though. Probably not. Anyway, fairies probably didn't take colicky babies anyhow. So, do you have a story about a changeling baby? I do. Please tell us. A man and his wife were not long married, and they had had a baby that they named Johnny. But he was always crying and never satisfied. There was a neighbor nearby, a tailor, and on market day, he said he'd stay and watch little Johnny so that his mother could go to the market. He was sitting and sewing by the fire when he heard a voice. Is my mother and my father away? He couldn't believe the baby was speaking, so he went and looked out the window. But there was nothing and no one about. He heard it again. Is my mother and my father away? And there Johnny was, sitting up with his little hands, gripping the sides of the cradle. There's a bottle of whiskey in the press, the baby said. Get us a drink. Sure enough, there was one, and they had a drink together. Then it wanted to blow on the pipes, but there was not a set in the house. So he told the tailor to go fetch a round straw from the barn, and it played the loveliest tune on the pipes through the straw. They had a good talk together, and the little thing said, Is my mother and father coming home? And when they came, there he was, just acting like a little baby in the cradle. By this time, the tailor was pretty sure it was a fairy that he had there, so he followed the farmer into the barn and told him all that had happened. The farmer couldn't bring himself to believe it, so between them, they decided to test it. They let on that a lot of things had not been sold at the market, and there was to be a second day of it, and the tailor promised to watch the baby again. They made a great commotion of packing and went through the barn and listened through a knot in the wall. Is my mother and father away? said the little baby. And the mother could just barely believe her own ears. But when they heard the piping through the corn straw, they definitely knew it was a fairy. And the farmer went into the room and he set the griddle on the fire and heated it red hot. He fetched in half a bag full of manure and set it on the griddle. And the baby looked at him with wild eyes. When he went to grip it and put it on the griddle, it flew straight up the chimney crying as it went, I wish I'd been longer with my mother. I'd have knew her better. (laughs) So odd. Did they get the baby back? This particular story doesn't say, but very often they do. Little Johnny. The kid's always causing problems in school, too. (laughs) Little Johnny of the jokes is a different boy, I'm fairly sure. You're fairly sure? Fairly sure. I don't know. Might be the same bad kid. Maybe. The little Johnny of jokes would match the changeling description for sure. He was a bit of a ruffian. So what is the description of a changeling? Very some, but basically any baby or child who is difficult, doesn't speak at the right age, might look a bit different, that sort of thing. Wow, you better hope you were born a normal kid back then. Exactly. I do like this sort of story, though. It's classic in regards to fairies leaving changelings for a new baby and the parents having to be clever enough to figure it out. And from some of the lore I've read, the changeling in question is usually an old or useless fairy, if not just an inspelled piece of lumber. Yeah, and the fairies do this, the exchange, for an infusion of new blood into their race, yeah? 
From what we've come across, yeah, the Fey folk, according to the lore, have been having issues reproducing for hundreds of years. Hmm, kind of reminds me of alien abductions, the kidnapping of humans for possible reproductive purposes. Max. I know, it's a podcast for another day. <laughs> exactly. Fairies, aliens, completely different in my book, no matter what the mad-haired Greek dude says on that TV show. That guy is hilarious. What a nut. <laughs> so the previous story reminds me very much of my favorite fairy abduction story. Oh yeah, what's that? It's called Tego Cain and the Corpse. Are you familiar with it? Not off the bat, no. It's not a straight abduction, more of a kidnapping with a moral lesson taught at the end. Teg was a rich farmer's son who was out of control, drinking, gambling, making time with the ladies. As you do. So Teg's dad threatens him to straighten up or risk his inheritance. So he kind of stomps off into the night having a smoke. As you do. And uh, as he's out wandering the Irish countryside, he runs into a band of little people carrying a body. And they know all about him, as the Fae often do, and make him take the corpse from them and give him orders to bury it before Cockrow, or he'll regret it. That doesn't sound too outlandish. I mean, as far as tasks that fairies have given people, they've run across. Yeah, carrying a gnarly corpse to be buried, that's, that's totally fine. <laughs> I mean, in comparison to, like, spinning gold from straw or some other impossibility. Well, get this. They give him a list of five different churchyards or cemeteries to visit, and this is on foot. Okay, so it's a bit more challenging. So long story short, he sets off with the fairies trailing him, kind of watching him and the corpse being refused by the buried dead at each churchyard till he finally reaches the last one and succeeds in burying the corpse just before cockcrow. So do the fairies come for him? No, but according to the rest of the story, he lived a long and happy life, the experience apparently scaring him straight, as it were. He laid off the booze, married his sweetheart, and ran the farm responsibly. So it could be the fairies blessed him with long life and happiness. Could be. And Mike Mignola of Hellboy fame spun a variation of this story into the classic Hellboy tale called The Corpse. Great example of sequential art and mixing traditional myth with his own mythology. You love you some Hellboy. It's my favorite comic for sure. So let's get into recognizing a changeling and what should be done if you do have a changeling in your cradle instead of your real baby. You mean besides your baby wanting to knock down whiskey and playing the pipes with the babysitter? Exactly. Press on with the knowledge. As we touched on earlier, the remedies are as varied as the fae folk themselves. So one way is to get the fairy to reveal its age. If it does, its cover is blown. They operate under very odd rules, the fae folk. So the classic tale is to catch a changeling is a brewing of eggshells. Ah, go on. I've, I've heard a bit, but it's kind of hazy. It's pretty simple, and it's the most civilized way. You take a large egg, maybe a goose egg, and pretend you're going to brew beer, or maybe a whole meal in the eggshell. Alternately, you bring water to a boil in a large pot and toss eggshells in the boiling liquid. And you do all this in front of the changeling, who will become more and more interested in what you're doing. Finally, forgetting itself, the changeling will ask what you're doing. Never mind that your baby isn't meant to be talking yet. You tell him what you're doing, and the changeling, amazed at what it's seeing, will say something along the lines of, I'm so old, and I've never seen that before. Thereby kind of breaking the spell of the abduction? Something along those lines, yeah. So a lot of trouble to go through, but I suppose you do what you gotta to rescue your kid from the clutches of the fae. You called it the most civilized way. What's the other way? Again, many methods, most involved heating up an iron poker to red hot and threatening the changeling with it, ringing church bells, or beating the changeling with various cold iron utensils or farm implements. Okay, red hot poker should not be applied to babies for any reason. 
or humans in general. Do not do this at home, lovely listeners. Please do not. And with that bit of sage advice out of the way, I dare say we may be approaching the end of this topic. Guys, don't forget to like us, leave comments, all the good things. Only good comments, though. Uh, you go to Apple, Spotify, whatever your platform is. Give us that five-star rating and please visit us at our webpage at nightmarespodcast.net. And follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Our theme music is Calliope's Call by the lovely and talented Teresa Joy. Find her at Viobrite, V-I-O-B-R-I-T-E, on Facebook and the gram. And reverse your clothing, dear listeners, and don't follow the lights. Be good to your neighbors, good neighbors, or otherwise. I see what you did there. Love each other, people, and sweet dreams. Sweet dreams. Sweet dreams.